God, I thank you for the for the chance to be able to celebrate with my brothers and sisters this day. This is this is what it's all about, and I thank you for that. I thank you that you allow us to not just look back at historical dates, but to participate in the event. Not just not just lay claim to a historical event, but to benefit daily, moment by moment, even from this event. So I thank you for that. And I ask you that you would make that more real for all of us today. I ask that you would make us more aware of, of the extremity of the, of the event that happened that we call Christmas. So be with us, God. Please guard. Please protect. I, I know I cry out to you to do that. And, and I cry out to you again to do that. that. Your words and your heart and your your will would be conveyed. And that we would be numb to not hear the voice of the enemy. That this would be a time of peace and a time of celebration and a time of rejoicing and a time of contemplation and a time of, most of all, of, of fellowship with you and fellowship with each other as brothers and sisters because of you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming down and intervening in this world. Amen. You know, that there's a uh, there's a sweetness. I have to say that, that the holiday Christmas has always been a, uh, as a kid was foundational in my life and and uh, foundational in, in our kids' lives. Um, I, I can't say that it was necessarily for all the right reasons, but um, I can say that it was. there was some really good reasons that it was. And, and part of that was family, um, the bond of family. I mean, when my kids were growing up, there was 20 grandkids. And so, and we got together every Christmas. Um, I mean, no matter what, I mean, we... We took some rides out of here from Idaho to Northern California. My mom lived in Lake Shasta in Northern California and, and uh we left here on some on some heading for Christmas with in you know, a fifty five Willie's wagon with no windshield wipers in the middle of a blizzard and heater running and six kids in the back and Yahoo, let's go. You know. We'd 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 stack them and lay them like cordwood in the back, you know, sideways. Just play them out like that and uh, and it wasn't a seatbelt thing, you know, and chairs, man. There was no fit in that. So there was just laying like cordwood on sleeping bags and cover them over about this deep because it, it would be like 20 degrees in the truck, you know. And we, every year, we always made it. And, and I, and, and there was some really sound, um, parts of that is that the kids are, um, pretty, pretty bound together. The, the sweet thing that came out of it was there was an amazing accountability with the kids. And it was interesting to watch at the at Billy's wedding. Um, there was a, a lot of the cousins were there. Most of the cousins were there. A lot of the cousins were there. And, and uh, you know, they're all grown up now. You know, I don't know what happened. But, you know, it's amazing that they still, there was an intimacy that was pretty pretty amazing still. Um, and, that, and that intimacy was, it, it went beyond just an intimacy. What was, what really is sweet, and I, I trust this is a God thing, is there was a tremendous accountability with the kids. Um, you know, who was who was the bad one this year kind of thing, you know? I mean, 
you know, you, you, you went to Christmas and it was kind of like, you know, you, you wanted to go to Christmas and, you know, you're, you're part of the family. You're part of the good kids. You, you know, you weren't being a black sheep and a rebel. And, you know, that just was, there was a positive peer pressure with the cousins that was, there was always a, a really good thing. And still to this day is, I think, you know, and, and it's a, it, it, that's a sweet thing. Um, up, I think like a lot of us, you know, Christmas for us is, you know, there was, and we always, you know, the, the, the children always, um, I don't know, it's a, it's a little bit cheating because you've got this whole pile of presents underneath, uh, you know, for us, we always open presents at night and, and ate dinner and dinner was a big deal and you've got kids just getting wound up, you know, they've been waiting for days, you know, walking by the tree, you know seeing what's what and waiting for days and, and you know there's 30 of us or so hanging out and it's a pretty close family and and we're all enjoying spending time together and and uh it, it, here it comes winding up to the whole deal and we you know eat dinner and then it's all the kids get on the floor centered around the christmas tree and then we sing christmas carols and we read the christmas story and you know the kids seem pretty excited about it because there's all these presents under the trees, you know, so they're pretty patient and being good because, you know, that's what they're supposed to be doing right now. And, um, it's just, it's all part of the build up and, and the deal. And, and it be, and it became a, you know, a, a, not in a wrong way necessarily, but a real kids thing. Um, but, you know, it's Christmas is real, it was really about kids. And a lot of the songs we sing, it was the, you know, away in the manger and talking about little baby Jesus in the manger and, um, and, and, and I don't really want to diminish from the positive value of that because I don't think it would be right, and I don't think we should. But, but I would just ask us all to think about the fact. I mean, this is this is the most radical intervention of God and mankind um, since the creation of the world. I mean, this 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 isn't a kid story, you know. This is this is a kid and adult story. I mean, this is this is this is the most important event that happened. I mean, that, that God intervened in earth. And, obvious, and it isn't just centered around his birth. It isn't just that he was born. It isn't about a little baby in the manger. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of history given because I would challenge you, one of the, one of the most solid um, uh, validations for the historicity of this Bible, for the supernatural nature of this Bible, is the prophecies about Jesus. Um, is Jesus coming to earth and, and the Messiah coming and what that would look like and you know, he'd be born in Bethlehem, and this is predicted, you know, a long time before he was born, that he would die on a cross. That, I mean, there's so many prophecies about Jesus that were done, you know, even thousands of years prior. Um, it, it's, a, it's the most amazing proof text, if you go after and well worth the effort to, to look at the prophecies about the Messiah and about Jesus. Um, and and the, all the, gos- the Gospels are, are, particularly Matthew and, and Luke, are are establishing that validity that this is the Messiah coming. This is the Messiah that Isaiah was talking about. This is the Messiah that, that Hosea was talking about. This is the Messiah that the prophets have always looked forward to. And and so this is a, there's an establishment here that okay, this is the way things went down. This is what happened. And, and it's a proof text about this is a virgin that God intervened. Um, and, and this is not a result of promiscuity or Mary and Joseph or you know, premarital relationship, like they were accused of all their life. Um, but this, there's, there's, this text is set down to, from God, is the Word of God, that that's not what happened. You know, so the, the story is given and described there to set a basis for the, for the 
validity of the Messiah, for Jesus being the Messiah. But that's what this is about. This is, this is, a, this is a radical, radical intervention of God. You know, if we could, if we could say, you know, what, what is today, you know, um, oh, nice, Ashley. And, <laughs> it's alright, it's alright, I love you. <laughs> this, this is a, uh, if I could describe it, I grew up, the name of our church was Emmanuel Faith, and, and, I, and I took that for granted, and, and, and it wasn't really a powerful thing, but man, if, you know, if I could call ourselves the people of what, if I could describe us, I would want to be Emmanuel Faith. The, the faith in the fact that God is with us. The faith of the fact of the intervention of God in this earth. Um, that's a, that, that's a radical thing. And, and this, in, in this, this, celebration that we have um, in this country and, and all over the world to a large extent, um, it, that's supposedly what it is. It's, it's God coming to earth. Um, and th- this isn't just an event that happened then and it was important for then and happened so we can appropriate it in our life and then we can go on with our life. Everything from, from creation, to, shortly after creation in the garden to when, when this earth is done, Revolves around this intervention. Revolves around this this happening and what happened here um, in a little manger in Bethlehem. That we is a you know it's a sweet story, but uh, I'm a little bit more. I was watching a I was watching a documentary um, yesterday on uh, you know the birthplace of Jesus and and hi Sandy and 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 I was I was watching this documentary and. In, there's a side of it. I mean, the documentary is pretty good, but the side of it is pretty sad, you know, because I think I think God purposely did it the way He did. You know, I mean, you know, that this was. No, I know. He, <laughs> I, I know He purposely did it the way He did, but I but I, I think that there's some reality to to the diminished um, place where He was born. You know, there's, there's a thing about Christianity again. We've talked about this before, but. But a relationship with Yahweh, a relationship with God, is the only religion, and let's use that in a good term here, is the only is the only form of worship or, or that has no outside icon, um, because God has always meant this to be a, a relationship from the heart. This is always meant to be a true and real relationship from the inside out. Um, he doesn't give us these these places and things to hold on to, but we in our propensity tend to. And boy, I tell you what, that place over there has a bunch of them. You know, they built. Things on top of buildings, on top of buildings, on top of buildings. So there's these giant basilicas over the top of the building that was built right in the building that was built over the top of Mary's house. You know, one of them. You know, it was here. Here's the place where Mary was was grew up, and and shortly after, within a few hundred, inside of 200 years, which is, you know, which which potentially has some validity and tradition. You know, I mean, this is a pretty big happening. This whole Jesus thing. And, and so, wait, that was, I know, this is where Jesus' mom lived in Nazareth. You know, this is where she was, and it's probably where the angel Gabriel went and talked to her. So this is a place, and we immediately wanted to hold this up as an icon. But, so they, so they put a building around it to preserve it, you know, because it was really not a real pretty deal, you know. A lot of the, they were stone and in caves, and they're not like the, like we're used to thinking. This was no Taj Mahal deal. And, 
Now there's a Taj Mahal almost around it. I mean, now there's this giant basilica deal that goes, it's huge, and stained glass windows, and, you know, about the four la- fourth layer down as you crawl through all these, go through all these things, you get down to supposedly this is a place. Do I think that's what God wanted to do? I, you know, I'm not, I, I, I'm not sure that's what He wanted us to do. I think that the event is a, is a profound one. I'm not sure that He wanted us necessarily to, to pay tribute to a place. Um, in doing that, and I think that's why it was a diminished place in Bethlehem. But nonetheless, the event um, is one that is is the most should be the most powerful thing that is is in our lives. Um, that the Messiah has come. And this is this is a major, and, and it isn't about Jesus remaining. He didn't remain a little baby, and we're not told a lot about him as a little baby and a little child. There's very little description of that. Um, but this is a this is everything. This is the hope of the world. Remember when, remember when, um, right off the beginning, God created Adam and Eve in the garden. And He created them for what? Excuse my inference, but for mutual outpouring, right? The, 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 he created them to have fellowship, to be intimate and walk in a relationship in the garden together. And, and this, that's what it was. It was a blessed, blessed time. I mean, I, I can't, you know, this is, I mean, there was no curses on the earth. There was, there was no sin. There was no effects of sin on creation. This is a sweet time and a sweet place. I mean, it said they were walking about naked, unashamed, picking fruit and fellowshipping with God. Life is good. You know, it, this is, this is a good thing, you know, doing it. And, and, but then sin entered the world. Okay? Because they, they were rebellious to God. And they chose to not to, to not submit to the authority of what God said, and and this is where God gave them free will, but but to to choose to not be obedient and not be submissive to God, and as a result of that, who took control of them? Satan. When Satan took control of them, sin entered the world, and rebellion entered the world. What did they immediately try to do? You know, they they immediately tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. I mean, it almost seems comical you know, doing it, but they. They, they covered themselves with fig leaves and tried to hide because of sin in their life and the effects of sin in their life. And God, being the loving, gracious God He is, to make a long story short, said, no, 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 fig leaves don't cover. It takes death to cover. It takes the blood shed to cover. And He killed an, killed some animals. And it says He killed animals and made them skin out of the animal. Made them clothing out of the animal skin and put them on them to cover them. Why were they, why were they wanting to be covered? They were be, wanting to be covered because of their sin. They were feeling an absolute need, necessity to be covered. Um, and he, and he, so he killed animals and shed that blood and put the, put the skins of the animals on them. Um, and said, this is, this is the example. This, this is a representation of the need for the death, of the need for blood to cover your sins, of the need for atonement to happen in this way. It doesn't happen with fig leaves. Same thing, remember what happened with Cain and Abel. I mean, this, this is a, this is a perpetual, continual, Issue and Cain and Abel came and they went to make sacrifices to God. They went to make to 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 make their relationship right with God. And and Abel killed an animal, killed one of his sheep, um, shed its blood, and and by that blood and that atonement of that sheep, God said, "I'm happy with this." And Cain, I mean, it's always tough for me. I mean, I grew up my whole life going, "God, you're kind of hard on him, aren't you?" I mean, it seemed like he did the nice thing, you know. I mean, Cain. You know, he gave up his first fruits. You know, I mean, this is, you know, he, he came and, and, and we can say possibly even we could go to the extent of he didn't know better. 
you know, right? He didn't quite understand what was going on even because it doesn't give us an explanation. They were told yet that it takes the blood to cover you in the atonement. So we can extrapolate that. Um, and God, but it said God wasn't pleased with it. And God explained to him what happened and where, where's the problem really lie? And the fact that he was ignorant and, and God jumped on him for being ignorant. God never jumps on us for being ignorant on doing it. Self-imposed ignorance, that's another thing. But God is merciful and kind and God explained to him this isn't, isn't okay. What, what, what did Cain express with his heart? Anger, bitterness, resentment, rebellion to God. No, I'm not going to do it your way, God. I want to do it my way. That was the difference between Cain and Abel. Cain says, I'm going to come to you on, on, on my grounds, on my terms. And, and Abel said, no, I'm going to, I got, I, we have to go on God's terms, on the way God said. And obviously things went bad. This is a, a principle that, that, that carries on throughout, well, throughout the history of man, but certainly up until the time of Jesus, that it's the shedding of blood um, that brings the forgiveness of sin. It wasn't the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats. That was by faith. You know, Abel killing his, killing the, the, the lamb and offering that to God, that, that didn't atone for anything in and of itself. What atoned for it, in the same way in ours, is Abel's heart. Okay, that Abel was obedient to God and recognizing that it took death and, and blood to atone for sin, um, to, to, to create a right relationship with him. And he understood that vividly. Um, so that's why he was willing to, to, to be submissive to God and be obedient to God. Um, and, and this is something that throughout the Jews, I mean, this is, you know, we, we don't understand how really ugly this was. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they come, they come to sacrifice at the temple and we tend, we look at it today and people travel to Jerusalem and there's this, ooh, and this on. Man, there was stuff dying and blood flowing everywhere. Flesh burning, hair burning, you know, just, it was not so pretty as we'd like to make it seem, you know. You know, it talks about incense to God, and it talks about smoke rising from burning flesh. And you're saying, and God says, this is pleasing. It stinks. You know, how could this be pleasing in this deal? What's pleasing is the expression of the heart that people are recognizing that it takes death and, the, and blood for the atonement. So right from the beginning, right from the time in the, in the garden, we were looking forward to the Messiah. Right from all creation, all mankind, from the, from, from the beginning from the garden, we're looking forward to the necessity of the pure lamb, the necessity of the Messiah to come to, to and, and a Savior to come. They'd, they'd, they'd confused the two, and they, but in this time particularly, um, it's why Jesus had a propensity not to call himself the Messiah. When they asked him if he's the Messiah, he didn't say, I'm the Messiah. And I believe part of that reason was probably because there was a lot of misconceptions about it. Messiah at this time particularly. And, you know, they had just been able to reinstitute, you know, six, in about 70 BC, which isn't very far before this, you know, in about 70 BC before he was done, the, the, the abomination of desolation had taken place, something prophesied before, you know. Here's this Roman ruler that went into the temple. He built an altar to his God over the top of the altar to God and sacrificed pigs on it. And, and this was, this, <laughs> that, that isn't, that, that, there probably would be no more decimation than, than, you, you know, flat out blatant than you could have done. Um, so, so things had gone really bad. They, they, 
the Romans had oppressed them um, in a way. They, you know, and, and they there were different rulers that would do different things. Sometimes they would let them worship God in the way they chose to. And, and but the primary thing they were doing, because Romans were about money, um, is exercising taxes over them. You know, they they would tax them, and they were, you know, you have to pay your taxes, and, and that's how they funded the Roman Empire. That's how, and they were about building roads and their their government infrastructure and their government buildings and doing that and these foolish Jews could kind of go on. Well, about 67 AD, the, the temple was re-consecrated, you might say. Um, and and so, they were, but they were in this period of believing that the Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Romans. Okay? And right, their perception of Messiah was a political figure and, and, a, and a general, in a sense, who was going to come and overthrow the Romans. And so, that's what they were looking for. And they were pretty set in that mentality. Um, Jesus never denied being the Messiah. And he said, look at my works. You know, my works is pretty obvious who I am and what I am. Um, but he was, I think he was always hesitant to take on that expression because of the political um, tempo at the time that was really looking forward to um, a Messiah coming and, and not being oppressed by the Romans who were taxing him and ordering him around and you know, Jewish were pretty stubborn people didn't like to be led in that way. So here, that's the environment that that God chose, and I'm I'm not sure exactly why. I can't tell you all why. Why He chose to intervene them, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's a pretty phenomenal thing. There was, you know, there was 14 generations. Um, you know, in, in Matthew it talks about it. I mean, there was there was. It, it's a it's a really good study too, and we won't go into it today. But in Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus. Um, is a is a pretty cool deal. I mean, there was you know all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, from David to the deportation to Babylon are fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the time of Christ are fourteen generations. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a real big numbers guy, but you know the, the the there is God saw significance in, in when, and there was certainly a time that that he appointed for the Messiah to come. Um, since the Messiah, since, since Jesus came, everything we do is dependent on that too. Everything about us, who we are, what we are, what we're about. There's no reason for being here outside of Jesus. There's no reason for being here about God intervening through, through Jesus Christ and, and the necess- the, the, his shed blood, his work that he did on the cross for us. Um, he didn't set up his kingdom to rule and reign in, in the political sense, in the actual sense, in the logistic sense of Jerusalem, um, like he will someday. Like he will someday. But that wasn't his point, and that wasn't his purpose to come. That wasn't his objective to come. He came to set up his, the kingdom of God here on earth, um, that we could be children of God, that we, can, that we could be free from the bondage of sin and death, that we could have a relationship with God. So this is there's even though this is the most wondrous children's story that you could teach your children, the most solid thing that you could ground them in is that God intervened into mankind through Jesus Christ. Um, that that is that is a should be a foundation of the core of children. Um, this is a big boy story and a big girl story too. This, this is this is the most important thing in our lives. This is something that isn't once a year deal, an event, a historical thing that happened. This is the most powerful, important core of our being that we can have and establish. So, I guess I, I'll, I'll ask to say, I would, 
you know, Levi and I were talking this morning. We were praying. He goes, you know, in his prayer, it was sweet. He goes, God, don't, don't, don't let this just be the thirtieth time I've heard this story, you know, in the morning, because there's a propensity for that to happen, you know, on the Christmas story. I mean, we've all heard the Christmas story, and and whether we read out of Matthew or read out of Luke, you know, we've all heard it. And, and a lot of us have even been to Christmas plays most of our life, you know, where all the little kids are up front and seeing Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the stars and, you know, all those things. And, and, and that's cute, you know, and that's sweet. And it's sweet to teach your children um, the basics of, of history and what happened and the intervention of God into mankind. And that's a, that's a good thing. I'm not diminishing that. Um, but this is, this is a big deal. I mean... This is a big, big deal. So, let, let's read it. Um, take a look at it. And, 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 and I ask you, I, I would ask you guys to, to consider, how does this affect me today? How does this affect us? How is this affected? You know, how, how, does, how does the inter- intervention of the Messiah, how does Jesus' birth in, in Bethlehem, and, and how, how does that affect me daily? How does that affect our lives? Because that, that's the important thing here. This isn't just about a history lesson. This is about how does it really affect me. Um, I'm confident that it affects us. I'm confident that that you know that there's a there's a you know a, a daily I would have to say a daily gratitude for this intervention that happened in this story at this historical period of time. It's an event that really happened. This isn't a a, a religious story. This is a historical thing that really happened. But I am so grateful for the effect of it. I mean, the, the effects are, are, are profound. The effects in our body are profound. Um, the effects of the love of God and on us are profound. I mean, I, I look at this, this last year, and how did, how did the, the birth of Jesus um, in the, the life of the Messiah, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, because that's really what it's pointing to. The birth isn't really the important part. It's what Jesus did. Jesus, it's, it's what Jesus came to do. This is setting the stage for what Jesus the Messiah would do. We're forgiven. We don't know forgiveness of sins by the birth of Jesus. Um, that was just like, oh my, this is it. God has intervened. God has come among us um, in the person of Jesus. And, and, and who Jesus was as being the Son of God is everything. And that's why the, the, the importance of the birth of Jesus and understanding that is very important. This wasn't just another man. It wasn't just another religious teacher. It wasn't just another religious leader. Um, who Jesus is and who he was in, in his birth and how that took place is very foundational to, to substantiate him dying on the cross. Because another man dying on the cross can't die for my sin. It wouldn't have effect daily in my life. Because Jesus was born as the Messiah, because Jesus was the Son of God, because God humbled himself, Jesus humbled himself, and took on the form of man. I mean, I'm not exactly sure how that looked. And, I, you know, we can contemplate and speculate. That had to be, you know, Jesus pooped his pants. You know, I mean, is this, I mean, he had to, you know. I mean, this is, this is a deal, you know. Sin, wrong? No. You know, Jesus didn't sin. It wasn't wrong. Um, but Jesus took on, here's, here's God. In John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, what was with God, and the Word was God. I mean, here is Jesus speaking. Everything came into being because Jesus spoke. I mean, this is, this is Jesus Christ. 
And he humbled himself and became a little child, became a baby, um, and took on the limitations of mankind too. He wasn't just posing as in a little baby form. He took on the limitations and the same, the same as us, the same temptations, the same limitations that we have. Um, he took on in, in order for, for the atonement to be right, for the atonement to be perfect. I'm like one of the things that to me, and I was thinking this morning that I would like to do. I mean, there's there, the work of God is 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 phenomenal to me. I mean, there's you know there's heroes and examples of of God's work in our body. And I, I don't know, you know, sometimes we stand back and say because there's a fair amount of of coming against and fair amount of coming against truth, and I think that conflict is is sometimes draining on all of us, but. Man, the supernatural work of God because of this intervention of God in mankind. Because we're people of Emmanuel faith. We have faith that God is with us. It's profound. I mean, I look back, well, just this morning. I mean, you know, the Robinson family are, are my heroes, you know. I mean, Lori got up with Cody at 2.30 this morning and, and drove Johnny in from Fairfield so he could plow snow so they could they could come here to church this morning and drove back home and got a couple hours sleep at that and, and drove back out here, you know. I mean, thank you guys. Thank you guys for honor and with that. And, and, and when I look at I look at the family, I mean, I see the power of God working powerfully. This is last week in Cody and, 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 in, and, and Johnny and Lori. I mean, what a profound turnaround um, in just the last month or so to see it. I mean, this is, this, is, this, is the, this is the effect of Jesus coming down and God becoming man on earth, you know. I, you know, I look at his son-in-law, Levi, and, and I don't care, you know, I'm sure he never wants you to talk about him publicly. He gets really embarrassed and upset. So. But, you know, I, I in, in my family, we'll all testify to this. We've all know, known Levi since he was, you know, a couple years old. Um, the profound effect of the intervention of God through Jesus Christ um, has changed his life in the last six months. You know, he's gone... He's gone through a, a, a struggle of pretty epic proportions. And in the last couple of months, has come out the other side a changed man because of the intervention of Jesus. You know, I, I look at the, it, the, the near, you know, no, it isn't near. The miraculous um, event of my daughter becoming pregnant and, 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 and having a baby. I mean, this is a, this is a, this is a profoundly sweet word. And, and, and I'm confident this came as a result of prayer. I mean, we, we, we thought, I mean, the doctors are saying, well, I don't think you can get pregnant. I don't think you're going to get pregnant. And, and, and here we are. Yeah, I mean, we sat here on a Wednesday night, and we sat on Thursday nights and, and cried out to God and say, God, intervene and open Jesse's womb. And, and that isn't no, no good on our part. That's just the fact that God is with us. And God is real. And we, we, we are a people of a faith that believes God is with us. And, and, and we're going to have a little baby, a little Peyton. Just sweet, sweet thing. So it's all right to cry. It's a good thing. So I mean, it's it's a it's a all of us are crying. The same thing. I I look I look at I look at the fact that I have a a, a new daughter, you know, and and I look at a, a marriage of of two kids who have fought and struggled, but but remain virgins in, in the process of doing that, and, and I see that. The blessing of God, and and there's there's only one reason for that, and that's because Jesus chose to come down and, go, and 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 become a man and die for our sins, 
I mean, this, this has a powerful daily effect on our lives. Um, you know, last Thursday night, we watched a man um, give his life totally and completely to God. And, 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 and Tom Taylor. And, you know, that, that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. Now, now we're in the process of, of praying for his wife because I, that, that she is able to come into a relationship with the true and loving and living God. Um, and, and, and this is a, this is a sweet thing. I mean, this is my, my admiration, um, my love, my, I'm humbled by Tom and, and his desire to know God and, and give his life to God in the midst of, of, you know, a pretty tough fight, in the midst of a life of living in deception and bondage to a lot of things. And, and here he is, 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 is an adult man wanting to live his life for God. Um, sweet sweet stuff that has happened. This isn't this is because Jesus intervened into mankind. This is because God is with us in, in mankind. So the 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 story of of Jesus in the manger, um, if it doesn't have a, a pertinent, daily, profound influence on our life, we don't really understand the story and, and what happened and what was established at that time. So so I would I would ask you guys to Bear with me as I read, listen as I read, um, follow if you want. I'll kind of jump a little bit because there's there's kind of two accounts. There's there's the account in Matthew, and, and Matthew and Luke are different guys. Luke was a doctor and a, and a writer, um, and Luke was writing to make sure that of the boom, boom, boom of, of the historical events that happened in chronological order and what happened. He was probably encouraged to write, maybe even potentially, you know, supported in writing the book of Luke. In fact, you know, you think about Paul, and we think of Paul, and we're all about Paul, and as Christians, we're all about Paul. Well, Luke wrote more of the Bible than Paul did. Um, you know, the book of Luke and the book of Acts consume a, a, a large portion of the New Testament, um, more than Paul wrote um, in doing this. So, there's, there's... Luke, Luke was a man mildly used of God to, to put down um, an understanding of the events and what happened. Um, Matthew was also a guy that, that was with Jesus. I mean, he hung with Jesus and, and was one of the disciples. And he is, he is writing um, from a slightly different perspective, but writing the same story. So let me, let me read um, a little bit of it. Again, I'm going to skip the genealogies, but... I don't do that to diminish him. Um, I, I would challenge you. To, I, it's, it's a phen- phenomenal study, and I've heard some done. You look, to just look at the, the words. People weren't named typically for no reason. And the names, if you break down what the names mean, um, it's, a, it's an amazing study that were led up to Jesus. But Jesus was, um, came from the line of David um, and who came from the line of Abraham. And this is, this is to fulfill God's promise, okay? God promised Abraham that through him the whole world would be blessed. Um, and, and here's the Messiah coming um, as the Savior of the world through the line of Abraham. And, the, and there's a traceable lineage that goes, and they were big on keeping their lineage and tracing their lineage, um, the very traceable lineage that goes all the way from Abraham all the way to Jesus Christ. Um, so we'll, let's start. In 17, I'll read it again. Well, we read that. Therefore, all the generations from 
and this is Matthew, from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the time of Christ, 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. In, in, and to understand the birth of Jesus Christ, it's, it's really important. We go back to Nazareth. Um, the, the primary foundation of the life of Jesus isn't based in Bethlehem. Um, God did a miraculous event and ordered things purposely because the prophecies were about the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. It's an amazing thing to me that um, he was always, the Pharisees and the scribes who were, who were biblical scholars were always coming against him trying to find ways to deny that he was the Messiah because they didn't like what he represented. They, this is not the Messiah that they wanted. They wanted a Messiah that would set up a kingdom that would elevate them even higher in their political status, in their power. Um, and they didn't like what Jesus was about. Jesus was coming against them and against what they stood for and against the way they acted, harshly and continuously. So they were always looking for a way to deny the fact that this was the Messiah. It's amazing to me because um, I don't see anywhere in the Gospels where, because it was, it was well known. Jesus, that, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Okay, this was prophesied, you know, hundreds of years before, in, in Isaiah, a thousand years before. Okay, so this is prophesied before. So the scribes who were biblical scholars um, said, okay, the, the Messiah is going to be born in So where was he born? This guy's from Nazareth. Right? I mean, this, this is from Nazareth. He can't, no good can come out of Nazareth, and certainly not the Messiah, because the Messiah is going to come out of Bethlehem. And, and I don't see any place in the scripture where Jesus said, you know, I was born there. You know, I mean, it would, it would have seemed to me to be a pretty easy thing to do because they kept pretty good records. I mean, there was the Romans even at the time. I mean, it was huge. They were doing census and they kept, kept the census in order to tax the people. You know, it wasn't because they cared about their, their godly lineage or, or their family lineage. All they cared about was being able to tax the people. But as a result, they kept a real staunch record. The reason that, Lauren will read the story, but the reason that Jesus, that Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem was for what? The census. Because Joseph was of the family of David. Okay? And the family of David was centered in Bethlehem. Um, that's where David himself, King David, that's where he was from, that's where he was born, and the family of David was centered in Bethlehem. And so that was basically the origin. So to do the census, they had to go back to their town of origin. Okay, so when the Romans said you have to go participate in the census and, and make sure you sign up and so we can tax you, um, Mary and Joseph had to make a trip. But they were both from Nazareth. Both Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth. They weren't from Bethlehem. Um, they were from Nazareth. And, and, and Jesus' whole life was lived out up until his um, uh ministry where he traveled some back and forth. The predominance of his life was lived out for the first 30 years in Nazareth. Um, and, and that's where Mary originally was from, was from Nazareth. In fact, it's quite probable as most marriages of the day in arranged marriages that were doing it is that they knew each other as kids. They, they grew up in the same town. You know, quite possibly close to each other in doing this. So, and, and so this is the, the... Nazareth is way north, about 75... Seventy-five miles north of Jerusalem, and and Bethlehem actually is south of Jerusalem. Either. So 
you know, they had about a 90-mile walk, probably. Um, this is, you know, people talk about riding on a donkey, but I'm not sure if you ask a pregnant woman if you want to ride on a donkey or walk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think she'd probably say walk, you know, even or waddle or something, because because Mary Mary was certainly, um, you know, ready to give birth, right? I mean, this is like time was coming along. This wasn't like she was three months pregnant or six months pregnant. She was, she was right. She gave birth in Bethlehem when they got there to do the census and the taxes. I mean, they, and it wasn't like they hung out there for a while and established a home and got a place, you know. They came into town, looked for a hotel, wasn't any, and, and so they, you know, parked themselves in the, in the stables. And that's where Jesus was born. So I'm sure that walk uh, kind of brought on a little contractions probably, huh? A 90-mile walk, you know, along the Jordan down. The Jordan River kind of flowed from the Sea of Galilee, flows down and, and down along Jerusalem, down towards Bethlehem and through, through the middle of the city there. So, um, so th- th- this is what happened historically in, in what went down. So Jesus was a person of Nazareth. Um, his family was from Nazareth. And that's really where the story starts. And that's where it starts here. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother, Mary, who had been betrothed to Jesus, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband, let me read, let me read what that looked like. Let me go to Luke here. Because Luke describes it in a pretty profound way. So, how did she come to be with child? Um, and, and Matthew describes it to Joseph so he doesn't give her a certificate of divorce. But Luke describes it a little more clearly and, and he was a doctor. Um, you know, and a, and a and a literate scholar. But the six months, it, at the same time, John the Baptist, you've all heard of John the Baptist coming? Um, John the Baptist is a forerunner of Jesus, that God sent him um, in the manner of, you know, a, a, as a prophet to come before and to call the people to repentance, to call the nation um, Israel to repentance. You need to repent. And, you know, the way, the way you're living, the way you're worshiping God, um, the way you're... you're think that you're right with God is wrong. You need to repent. And and John came to pave the way for Jesus. Um, it's not just repentance, um, but it's the work of Jesus, the work of Messiah that's going to save you. It's not these this legal system that you guys have set up. Um, it, it's really the way. So John had come before. John John was born to um, to Mary's cousin, and that was a that was a supernatural event that happened too. Um, from the standpoint that 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 Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, was old, um, real old, past the age of bearing children, and and so was um, you know so was her husband. They were both very old. He was a priest in the temple, and they were both very old, and they hadn't had kids. She'd been barren, so they were old, and and they wanted kids. They always wanted to have kids, but they were way past having kids. Um, I don't know how old that means, 80 years old or something. I don't know that it really says anywhere exactly how old they were, but they were old. And it cousins. Do you know how old Jean? I mean, is it? Okay. Um, but they, they were past the age of having kids. I, that was a, yeah, I hope 80 is going to be too late to have kids, huh? Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> yeah, 55 plus probably. They were, she was past menopause, you know, past the age of having it, you know, probably is the description that's happening. And, um, and, and this is a supernatural event that God came down and, and God told, you know, 
God came in. He, he, here's her husband, um, Zacharias. He's he's doing his. They switched off, and he was doing his ministry in the temple, doing sacrifices and doing it because they traded off, and it was his turn to go in and be the temple priest. And so he was in the in the temple, um, being the priest, and he went into to the holy place to sacrifice. And God told him, "Your wife, and you were going to have a kid um, doing it." And he, and he goes, "Come on, God." I mean, let's be real here, you know, I mean, this is past the deal. And and the angel Gabriel said, no, no, you're going to have a kid. And this is going to be a prophet who's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, who's going to, you know, who's going to be my man to go set things up for the Messiah to come. And when he said, you know, and he says, but because you doubted this, you're not going to speak until he's born. And he was, and all the people are standing out because he's going in doing sacrifices to God and and he comes walking out and he can't talk. He can't speak anymore. Um, this is a supernatural event that happens. And through the whole pregnancy, he was mute. He couldn't talk on the deal. Um, and this the, for God saying, I'm God. And, and I sent my angel to tell you this. And, um, and you should listen straight up. But nonetheless, so he, here it is. Elizabeth's six-month-old. And that's when it's talking. It says, now in the sixth month, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Okay, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, called Naz- a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, this is an angel walking in, remember, this is, and coming in, he said, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? How can I have a child? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month big statement, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, this is Mary. I mean, Mary, Mary was a sweet girl. Behold, I mean, this, I don't, we don't know how old. There's probably, she was probably 15 or something. 16, young. That's, that was marrying age at the time. And here, here's, a, here's a, a virgin consecrated to God that pleased God. And, and, and her attitude about her relationship with God is reflected in what she says. This, it, 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 she expresses it. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. She's speaking of herself. The bond slave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now remember, this is going to be a problem. She's not married. She's betrothed to a man. She's betrothed to, to Joseph. So, for her to get pregnant before the marriage is consummated, and they become one flesh, is a problem. Deuteronomy says you take her to her father's doorstep and stone her. 
because she was unfaithful during the betrothal period. Current practice at the time was you could legally give her a divorce. I mean, this was this was a big deal, and 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 I would ask you to refer because this is a very very important statement in, in, in sequence that goes on. This is Jesus' parents, remember? So when Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about divorce, when he's talking about unfaithfulness, he was accused of being a bastard child his whole life. He was accused of the unfaithfulness of his parents his whole life. Did, did the, all the people around him in the city of Nazareth believe in the Immaculate Conception? No. They didn't. Mary was found to be pregnant before they got married. Was there a stigma? In this culture, it was a huge stigma. This was not okay. Here's somebody who appears to be have a right relationship with God and yet all of a sudden she's found pregnant? I mean, this is a, this is a, a major deal. This wasn't just, oh cool, I get to be married and have the birth of Jesus. This was, oh man, I am going to carry this for the rest of my life. You know, this, this is this, and what's, what's my husband going to say? What's, what's, what's the man I'm betrothed to going to say when he finds out I'm pregnant? I mean, this can't go real well, God. I mean, this is, what's her response? What's her immediate response? And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. I am a bond slave to you, Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose. She's probably going, Oh my, now what? At this time, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Blessed are you in your belief, Mary. Blessed are you for willing to take on the scorn and scourge. This was still, remember, it said, it'll say here in a minute, it said, in Joseph, being a righteous man, being a man who was right in his relationship with God. Okay? This isn't self-righteous. This isn't other people thinking he's righteous. The description here is this was a truly righteous man, a man who was right in standing with God. Okay? Joseph, being a righteous man, did what when he heard that she was pregnant? He, he said, okay, I don't want to publicly humiliate her, but I need to write her a certificate of divorce and put her away quietly because she's been unfaithful. And that's what I'm called to do as a righteous man before God. I, this is an interjection and a bit of a side thing, but this is a, this is a major statement about how God feels about marriage and divorce. Okay? Remember in Matthew says, when, when Jesus was talking on the Sermon on the Mount, and let me just read it a minute because I would ask you to, to contemplate it in, in how it how we pardon me greatly misinterpret it. Um, in Matthew, excuse me, uh, 
Matthew 5, verse 31. And this is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is probably the greatest justification of divorce that we use in the church today. Marital unfaithfulness. Um, adultery. We say they've committed adultery. Now we have the word. And it was said, Jesus said, and it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of dismissal. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay? This is this is a very strong word and I would ask you guys to think about it. Jesus picked his words very carefully. Jesus lived with a stigma his whole life of, of his mother being pregnant out of wedlock. Okay? That, that's how it looked. And, and this isn't something I want to wait. This is a small town. This is Nazareth. You know, this is this is where he lived. He lived there, lived out his whole life in that town in doing it. So Jesus, Jesus, and he chose his words very careful. He talks about the the what he's talking about is unchastity and marital unfaithfulness. He's talking about prior to the consummation of the marriage. In another section, when when he's quoted on this statement, it says. Jesus says, what, because what God has joined together in, 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 in the consummation of the marriage, in the sexual union, after the vows have been taken, after the covenant has been entered into, when the vows have been taken, God has joined you together in a supernatural way. And he says, and what God has joined together, let no man separate. Okay? Let no man bring this bring, separate the two of you now. In the old days, in, in Deuteronomy, and in, in where he's coming from there is in Deuteronomy, there was a very um, explicit description of what it's supposed to look like. When, it, when a, you went in the betrothal period, and the, the, the betrothal period, is a, in, this isn't just an engagement to see if we like each other. Okay? The betrothal period was, was, a, was a covenant relationship of marriage. And the only way out of that betrothal period was divorce, was a certificate of divorce. This is before you come together, even in a sexual union. The only way out of that was a certificate of divorce. This was a this was an absolute agreement with the parents and the girl, as a man, that I'm going to marry you, and, and it was regarded as sound and strong as marriage. Okay, the gifts were given, the dowry was paid, um, the contract was entered into. Okay, this is the relationship, and it was seen that. And the only way out of that was divorce. So betrothal wasn't a Waiting for betrothal was when the guy was out getting his act together, getting the house, figuring out a way to raise his wife, figuring out a way to provide for his wife, um, so he could come and get his bride, and they could come into a to a to a union that bound them together forever. And 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 God said the only way in, in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, He said that if a woman is thought to be unfaithful in that period of betrothal, in that period of engagement, that here's what he said, and the accusation would be made. So the the two come together on their wedding night, and the necessity was that they they put a piece of linen cloth underneath them. And this is profound in our culture because we don't think of it this way. And and when a virgin had sex and it broke the hymen, there was blood. Okay? And there was blood on that cloth. And that that cloth was given to her parents. So... So, and their parents held on to it. Why did they hold on to that cloth? I know this seems 
strange to us, but to say this isn't my deal. I didn't originate it or come up with it. This is God's deal. And they, they kept, he told the family to keep it, so that when the groom said, you know, I don't like this woman. I don't think she was faithful. I think that she was unfaithful in the, in, before we consummated our marriage. Um, I think in that betrothal period that she was unfaithful, that, that um, she, didn't, she wasn't chaste in her behavior. And the parents, it says, they bring the cloth and say, oh no, she was faithful. She, this, this was a virgin. And, and, and the statement is, and you, you now, husband, you pay your family for the public humiliation. You, you go apologize publicly for, for a lie that you made. And you cannot divorce this girl your whole life. No way. There is no grounds ever for divorce. She was faithful to this point. It doesn't matter what she does. It says you cannot divorce her all your days. Now, let's be careful. This is not an added curse God put on you. Okay? This is God's heart. Saying she was faithful. I have joined you together. What God has joined, let no man separate. Okay? This is a, this is a pretty, pretty powerful statement. And, and again, this isn't from somebody who was just talking. This is from somebody who lived with the stigma. This is somebody who lived with a mother who was given that stigma the whole, her whole life. Um, because she was found to be with child before she was married. So, back to the story. Here's Mary, willingly, openly, miraculously, because of her relationship with God, saying, I'm your bond slave, Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. And again, she isn't just going, ah, I get to be the carrier of Jesus, man. I am the girl. You know? this, this, this is Mary saying, I'm willing to take on all the ramifications of this and, doing it and go down this road. So she, she goes and she hangs out with Elizabeth there. And after Elizabeth does this greeting to her, um, in verse 45, and blessed is she who believed, Elizabeth is charging, blessed are you who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. You believed, you trusted, this is what God would do. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded, for he has, has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. And behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. And he has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from the thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has fulfilled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel as servant in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary stayed with her three months and then returned to her home. And then it skips skips down um, to chapter 2 of Luke. And cause it, it, then it begins to talk about John. And John was born. Elizabeth gave birth to John, the Baptist. Okay? And in verse 2, it takes back up what happened in Jesus again. So... It really doesn't describe to us. Let me let me let me read Matthew. I'll jump back and say, this is this is how 
Joseph dealt with it. Okay? Remember now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, and they hadn't consummated the marriage, but because of their betrothal, he's regarded as her husband. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin will be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates means translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took her as his wife. And he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, this jump, jumps to it. Let's go back to Luke, okay? And see if... In Luke chapter 2, so here, here's, here's Joseph said, I'll be obedient to God. I'm not going to divorce Mary. I'm going to take her as my wife. And, 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 and you're in charge here. Now, it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all the pros, and all the, and all, excuse me, and all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. That was funny to me because on the map they go down, but obviously they gain an elevation. Actually they don't because they're going downstream from the Jordan. But, and Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register, along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes, in cloths, and she laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The, the town was crowded because people had come from everywhere for the census. And there was a, there was a extra amount of people and there was no no place for them to stay. And in the same region, there were some shepherds. So this is a this is a profound thing. So they they've they believe God. He's she stayed a virgin. He took her on as a wife, and now she's given birth. But they're still going. This is a tough deal. I mean, you know, here here people aren't going to exonerate this and look at this. Um, we can tell them about this vision we have, but there's very few that are really going to believe it. I mean, this is a pretty wild story. A virgin birth. This is the only one to ever happen. And, and this, is a, this is not a real believable story. But God is a great God of encouragement. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord. We, we, need, to, we need to momentarily move out of the our, our little children in their shepherd's clothes, you know, running around on the stage here. The, these, these were these were real men out guarding the flock out in the hills, okay? And in, and this is a real happening that happened. Um, 
There were some shepherds sitting out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. And these are, these are men's men out killing bears and lions that were attacking their sheep and guarding against thieves and doing all that. And they're terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. And that's the sweet thing about God's intervention. Emmanuel, God with us here. This is, this is news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them to heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. Can you imagine the reassurance? I mean, here's Mary and Joseph going, what kind of a mess has God put us in? You know, this is, I mean, yes, the angel, we're sure that God spoke to us. The angel Gabriel came to us in both cases. Okay? We're sure and confident of that, that that happened, but what kind of a mess are we in? You know, this is a, this is, this is a tough deal. This is a tough, tough pill to swallow. So what did God do? He, 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 he sent these shepherds to him. And, it came, and, and, and they came in haste and they found him. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which had told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all, that had been, for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. And when the eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him that the, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when, his, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him Jesus, into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in, in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your soul, to the end that the thoughts from, 
for many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of, of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, and having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, then the rest of her life, as a widow to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began to give thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's go back to Matthew and finish that story. Because remember the story that they had to flee, right? In, verse, in chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Okay? So they, they seemed to hang in Bethlehem for a little while, um, for a period of time. After that 90-mile walk, you didn't want to turn around and the kid and go back right away. But, um, and I don't know, Joseph was a carpenter, and he probably had a way to make a living wherever he went because he was a carpenter and could do his trade there. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east, wise men, got it? from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, this is a big deal. These weren't Jews. You know? These weren't Jews. These were people pursuing God. These were men pursuing God. Um... But they, more than likely, they were Magi's, they, they were not Jews, okay? So, and, and where is he who has been born king of Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathered together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make careful search for the child, and when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the Christ child, where Christ was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they, and they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. He was somewhere two years, about two years old probably, um, somewhere under, just under two years old, this little, I think of amazing having two-year-old kids, and that, but that's, that's what he was. He was somewhere about two years old. And they came into the house, saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. This is a little kid story. These were magi. These guys were guys that caused a stir when they came riding in, probably on their camels. I mean, this, this was a big to-do. I mean, we don't know how many there was. I'm not, I don't think the Bible really gives us a definite. We tend to think of the three wise men. Um, but that's somewhat of a guess, an extrapolation. It was probably it was two or more, probably. Um, there could have been a whole bunch of them. But it was two or more that were 
These were, these were rich, wealthy, wise men that were exonerated by people around him. And, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose, and he took the child and his mother by night, and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt did I call my son. So he went there, he went, went to Egypt for a time until Herod died. And when Herod died, God said, return. He came back. Um, and, and the son of Herod was still in power. God said, we'll go back to Nazareth. So they went back to Nazareth. And Jesus spent the next, up until he was about 30 years old, in Nazareth. Um, working as a carpenter around the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was right by Nazareth, very close to it. That's where Jesus spent most of his ministry. So it's a story. It's a story we've all heard. I, the, the, what, uh, what was said that I bring tidings of great joy for all people. And this, this is, this is the foundation and the core of our being, or we don't understand the story. This is the sweetest thing that has happened. This is our great hope. That Emmanuel, God is with us. To have to be people of Emmanuel faith, of a faith that God is with us, is, is a profound thing. Um, and, and that God, when, when Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and He sent the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit freely to be part of the born again. This is a powerful thing. God is still with us. God is still amongst us. God has redeemed us. God longed from day one not to be a tyrannical, oppressive, self-willed, evil, mean God, but to be a loving Father. He sent His own Son. I mean, that's what this is about. God, God Himself. I mean, I can't imagine this happening. He, Jesus came down in the form of man and, and was persecuted and rejected and, and beaten and scorned and mocked and ended up being killed for us. And that's the good news of the gospel. It's 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 a profound, sweet adult story besides the kids' story. And and I hope that that this time, during the time, all of us will. It will take the time to contemplate and meditate what this is about, you know. Um, family time, the intimacy of family, the intimacy of children, the chance to bless each other with giving things. That's a sweet thing. But the truth is, this is a time when God has blessed us greatly. He's giving us His Son and giving us an opportunity to have a right relationship with Him. And that's what this is about. This is about Jesus coming to earth. And this is the most dramatic, impactive event um, from creation until he sets up his rule and reign again. This is the thing that allows us to have a right relationship with God. That's what, that's what Christmas is. That's what the bottom line is in our celebration. That God is with us. And we have the opportunity to have a relationship with him. So I'd encourage you all to, to more than anything, get to know. Get to know this Jesus. 
This, 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 is, this is the life-changing thing that will happen in your life. It isn't just a historical event that we acknowledge and change our life. This is truly getting to know a person who's risen from the dead, who's alive. We, we count him as our Savior. We count him as our friend. We, count, we call him Lord. We submit our complete and total life to him. We should know this guy. And we can. We truly can know him. And I'm very thankful for that. And I'm very thankful for the fact that knowing him and committing and surrendering our lives to him has a powerful supernatural effect on us in a daily way. And I want to be a people of that. I want to be people of the gospel. I want to be people of that good news. I want to be people that, that praise that event of Jesus coming to earth and intervening on our behalf. And I hope you do too. So, let's pray. God, I thank you for the good news. Tidings of great joy. I thank you for your willingness since, since sin entered this world to intervene on our behalf, to give us a way of escape, to give us a way back to a right relationship with you. I thank you that you've allowed us as Gentiles to be in a relationship with you as your children, to call you your children. I thank you that you've made a way back to correct so that we can walk in the garden in mutual outpouring with you. So we can outpour our lives to you and you outpour our lives to us. And we can walk again in the way that you created us to walk. That we can be fulfilled in that. That we can be complete in that. And I thank you for that because it's only because of what Jesus did. It's only because you sent Jesus to be an atonement through His death and His blood, for our sins, so that we can be reconciled to You. I thank You for that. That's a, that's a phenomenal story. That's a wondrous story. That's a joyous story. I ask that You would give us wisdom to, to communicate that to our children, to communicate that to our friends, our spouses, to communicate that, to have that communicated to us in our own hearts. That that's what this would be about. That this would, this would be a time of celebration celebration because of your intervention, because Emmanuel, you are with us. In Jesus Christ. I thank you that we can come boldly as your children because of your work, Jesus. I thank you that now you have been resurrected and you stand glorified again as a high priest, petitioning God on our behalf. I thank you that you didn't leave us alone in this world either, but God is still with us in the Holy Spirit. This isn't just a random thing once in a while in different places scattered like it was then. This is something, a universal truth that we can all appropriate now through the work of Jesus, through the blood and resurrection of Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that, it, that you didn't leave us ignorant of the fact that it is all about you. I think you gave us ways to know you through your word, through your Holy Spirit, and through each other. God, I ask that you would continue to perfect this body into an image of you. That we would reflect, that we would now be your body, that we would now be you on this earth as we function. And we can show your glory and the truth of who you are and that you are the Son of God by our unity, by us being a family, by us being bound together in the body of you. Cause us to fulfill that, God. Cause us not to 
Forgive us for our failure in that, but God bless us in the joy and the peace, the security, the blessings of being a family of You, of being a body of You. Because You didn't leave us alone to do that. You died so that we could participate in that. Thank You. God, I ask that You would bless my brothers and sisters in this time of celebration of You. That this would be a glorious time. This would be a glorious Christmas for them. This would be a time when when, when you come to a greater realization of what you did. That this would be categorized not so much as Christmas, but Emmanuel. That God is with us. You are with us. Please bless my brothers and sisters with this illumination and realization. Cause us to encourage each other in that. Cause us to know you better because of it. Not, not a story about a baby, but a story about you intervening in this world. Thank you. Amen.